from the Word Alive Media team. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. In this message, Kent Maddox teaches us about living free from offense in our overly offended society. I hope you enjoy this message. I believe the Lord has a message for us today as we uh, uh, are preparing to move out of this year into the next year. And uh, feel like the Lord's got some prophetic stuff for us and a real word for us today. I was going to talk about uh, kind of preparing us to move into Christmas with a p- bit of tranquility and peace, but I felt like the Lord kind of sidetracked me a minute and took me another place, and so if that's okay, we'll go go with that, eh? Uh, but before we do, I, just, I want to kind of give you a disclaimer because I don't want you to tie the message to, uh, to this, what I want to talk to you about. So I want to kind of separate the two if we can just before we get going because I don't want you to mix the two thinking that the message has to do with an incident because it's totally separate. Basically, uh, how many were here last week for, our, uh, for Mike Ferris? And so second service you were here. And so it was, uh, it was awesome. And at the same time, uh, you know, uh, Mike dropped a word on us uh, that was unusual uh, for church life. And uh, and so I just want to take a minute and just address this with you just for a moment, if we can. Uh, first of all, when I'm, I'm the pastor here, you know, and I'm sitting in a service and I'm as shocked as anybody else uh, when, I, when I hear this and I'm trying to determine what do I do because I understand what we're at. And so this is just the way I process things and the way I think. My thought was simply this, I'm probably going to get several other opportunities to talk to you but I may never get another chance to talk to him. And so I in no way wanted to reject him or cause him to feel, you know, that he had fouled something up when I knew I could come talk to you about it. And so hence, I didn't want to say anything other than just let's move on with it uh, that day. That was my heart in it. Uh, What was interesting is I went to his concert on Thursday night and Bev and I, Bev was with me and uh, he called us back and he said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. Shut the door. Very contrite. And he said, Kent, he said, your church changed my life. He said, I've never been to a place uh, and felt the love of God and the grace of God and the openness and the uh, transparency of people and the welcomeness for somebody that would accept somebody outside of church into church. He said, it just radically impacted me. He said, I'll never be the same. He said, but at the same time, I have lived in great distress ever since that day. And I said, well, why in the world would you do that? He said, as soon as I got in my car to drive home, he said, it just came on me that I've really messed things up. And he said, I knew I said something that's probably not normally said in church. And he said, but he said, honestly, it's just where I'm at. And it came out, and I'm just so, so sorry. Could you please ask the church to forgive me? Would you please forgive me? I just wouldn't. You have something so beautiful. And I don't want to have any way mess that up. And, of course, you know, my response to him was, Mike, I'll be honest with you. You just made it more beautiful because you just helped us love deeper and love stronger and be more open-minded. <clears throat> and knock that demon off of him that was trying to uh, jump onto him, you know, uh, to, to cause that to uh, influence his life. And so it's interesting. I've had a couple of conversations with some folks, and the one comment was I thought was very powerful. And they said, you know what, Kent? They said, we think actually that service was probably more for him than us. And we got to be all right sometimes at a church that something may happen or some services may be, or that it's just kind of like this guy came to me and said, sounds like Jesus left the 99 and went after the one. And uh, I understand that. 
at the same time, I understand, I, don't, I want to calm some fears because we can chalk that up to one incident and, you know, you'll forgive him, I know, and you'll forgive me, and we can move on. But I understand over a period of time, I have dropped a few myself, uh, you know, and I want you to understand, you know, why I've used a four-letter word here and now, here and, uh, here and again, preaching. First of all, <clears throat> I've done it because it's just a reality that sometime in my life, sometimes in my life, I do fall into the expletives, uh, and I just wish I hadn't, but I just do, and I just try to live a transparent life, and so I've always just told you everything, and so only, all I know is to keep, as, to keep a healthy pastor, he's got to have a congregation that you can just absolutely be totally transparent with to tell you exactly what, I'm not going to live two lives, I'm not going to live a private life and a public life. Now, <clears throat> I understand that's not necessarily wisdom and it's not necessarily right. It's just the way I chose, to, I chose to do it. And I'm getting better. <clears throat> right? Hey, come on in, Bev. God bless your heart. <laughs> Second thing is, of course, you know, I do like the shock effect at times. Because I think from time to time, we need to be shocked. We need to be shocked into a moment of saying, hey, wait a minute, you know. And I'm not saying that's right either. That's just, just, just what I've chose. And we have a couple of ministries here. We have a ministry to a local church body uh, that we understand that there's families and there's children. And we definitely don't want to encourage children, you know, in any other way than the way the families are wanting to raise them. But at the same time, we have a ministry to the lost. And as Dr. Patio said so powerfully to some people this week, she said, you know, uh, discernment would tell you this young man that was on our platform is a young believer he's new in the Lord finding his way in the Lord and if we really believe a harvest is coming then we got to get ready because there will be some probably some awkward moments in our journey in the days ahead because we believe the Lord is about to send us a lot of hurting lost people and we're going to bring them into the kingdom of God amen but at the same time I'm trying to be uh, w more wise I'm trying to manage it better. I'm trying to I'm trying to improve my own life and uh, and and live you know more in another place. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you, thank you for your grace, thank you for your understanding, thank you for your love, thank you for your support, thank you for being unopen-minded because I believe God's doing something really really powerful here and really significant. And I just want to kind of address that. To not, so I don't want you to just think we're just going to all of a sudden become the cursing church. You know that everything just let taking the lid off. That's not nowhere where we're, where we're at. It's just it's kind of where we got to, and we'll find our way on into uh, to a better place. And Bev, I'm afraid for you to talk right now. No. Let me, let me get you the mic. Thank you for the encouragement. Okay, so I just want to take a second to remind y'all. You know, when Kent and I showed up here in Oxford, we had been in ministry already for 10 years, but we're like everyone else. You know, we, we went through a process of healing and we go through a process of healing we were really broken broken people and I think that one of the things that is always a little baffling to me is somehow people think that after a while all of our brokenness was going to be smoothed all over kind of like what happens to glass when it stays in the ocean for a long time like it starts out with really jagged pieces but after a while it just the edges get rounded off but what happens is we just keep getting broken 
you know, the process just continues for us. And I think when we say there's a harvest of people coming, my gosh, y'all, in the years that we've been here, in 16 years that we've been here, the harvest of broken people that have come through these doors is nothing short of phenomenally miraculous. And we've had the opportunity to just see our brokenness. And I shared this a while back with Daniel Hughes, and I'll just never forget it because we were all going through a really, I mean, just a, a broken time. And I, I said, you know, what happens is there's the jagged pieces of our hearts that God continues to heal. But then we just meet people that our hearts, when our broken pieces meet their broken pieces, we somehow start to become whole. And so if I could encourage you in any way, and I know Kent's already covered this, but when we talked to Mike on Thursday night, he was torn out of the frame. He just said, I don't know what happened to me. He said, I just got so comfortable, and I felt so safe. And he said, I've never felt like that in the place before. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I, I knew for, for real, for reals, <laughs> Seriously, that our brokenness had somehow connected with another broken heart. And we started making a whole, a, a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. And, and I know every single person sitting in this room today, you have brokenness and broken areas. And, and when I, I see the victories and, and people just moving past that brokenness, I think that if I could just kind of put a little caveat out there, a little beware sign, it's like, that's so cool and that's so wonderful that that's happened. But, you know, don't stay there and don't think that something else isn't going to come along and break your heart again because it will. It's just, it's, we're human beings and it's part of the human experience. It's the challenge of living in the world. It's the challenge of being frail and weak and 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 living life with other human beings, you see. That's the part of the process. And no matter where you are in it, if we can stay away from judging anybody else's process, you know, we really will kind of become more and more like that broken piece of glass that's been tossed and thrown around by waves and water and in sand and our round edges start coming off. But then again, you know, somebody's going to come right along on that beach and not see that piece of glass, and they're going to step on it, and it's going to crack all over again. And that's what happens. So I just want to encourage you. When Kent and I came here all those years ago, we, we, were, we were road weary. And uh, we didn't really have a clue of what we were doing. We'd never, we'd never really pastored a church before. And I think somewhere along the way, people thought we would stop talking about what God had done for us and where we had been. And that somehow that we would just shape and, and morph into something that was expected. We were supposed to have cleaned up. And we were supposed to somehow become perfect in some process that just really doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And we're not perfect people. We, we love Jesus with our whole hearts. And it's such an honor that God would in any way, shape, or form allow us to be a part of your process and other people's process. And we never take that for granted. But Kent's never going to stop using the S word. 
I'm telling you, it's just never going to happen. And I mean, and if it comes, if it slips out, just like what happened to Mike Ferris, I mean, he talks like that in his regular life. That guy, Mike, that guy, that sweet, amazingly anointed, talented musician. That's how he talks. And he was comfortable. He felt like he was with his tribe. He was like, I met my people. And the truth is, he did meet his people. He met his people. And Kent's never going to stop saying that. And it's going to happen. And I hope, you know, y'all can move past it with us. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, we're never going to become perfected, but, but with all of our hearts, we know that we're forgiven. And we're not just forgiven for the mess that we made years and years ago, we're forgiven for the mess we made yesterday and the mess that we'll make tomorrow. And that's what forgiveness really is, and, and being non-judgmental, and, and most of all, not judging ourselves. And as I said, I sat on this first service, so obviously y'all are the crowd that the Lord really meant to hear it, but it's the truth. I mean, we're, we're people. We're human. We, we blow it, I mean, catastrophically, but we're doing the best we can, and it's important that y'all really know that about us. I mean... <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. All right. I love you. I love you too. Okay. Just be who you are. I am. All right. All right. Now we may really do need to go home, maybe. But I do got a word. So let me get it to you, can I? Whoo. There's a prophet named Doug Addison. And uh, I believe in his prophetic ministry. And he sent out an a email. And let me back up a minute. I'll put some closure here. Thank you, and thank you, Bev, for your obedience. But that, now we're going to move that aside, eh? So we're good there, right? And then, then we're going to move here because I don't want, these to get, I don't want this to get muddied because this is, this is an important word. Uh, he, he gave out a prophetic word as we're moving into De December in the new year. Had a scripture, Deuteronomy 28 says, The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and in all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land that the Lord has given you. So touch two people beside you say, Get ready, you're about to get blessed. That's number one. Get ready, you're about to get blessed. He said, In the vision, I keep seeing storehouses in heaven with our names on them. For every time that you've given, prayed, or reached out to the Lord and have not seen a return or response, the answers to your request were actually being placed into a storehouse in heaven for you. There has never been a time that God did not respond to your prayers. The fact that you did not see the answer come to the earth does not mean that he did not respond. Gave another scripture, Deuteronomy 28, 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you the rain in your land in its season and will bless all the work of your hand. You're going to lend to nations and you're not going to have to borrow. That's a powerful promise from God. So touch two more people say you're going to lend and you're not going to borrow. Tell them that. You're going to lend and you're not going to borrow. 
Now listen, this is the prophecy. He simply said, starting in December, you're going to see your storehouses being to op- begin to open over you. This is going to create a new sound from heaven from actually the heavenly slot machines. And he says, for lack of a better example, hitting their payout for you. You ever seen that, you know, that, that 777? Now listen, here's what, just leave that up there a minute because this is important. This is a prophetic th- time. We're living in the Hebraic calendar 5777. Uh, I was on the way to Birmingham yesterday uh, for uh, Pavan Mudim's graduation. And on the billboard, I know it's advertising a casino, but it was there, 777. Nan Mudim, one of our elders, several months ago, uh, sent me an email and said, Ken, I know this sounds strange, but I was praying. And the Lord said, get ready as we move into 2017 and even into this Hebraic year of 777. I just felt like the Lord saying, it's a jackpot year. And then Chuck Pierce comes along just a month ago and says, this is a jackpot year. And so my Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, believe in the prophets and you will prosper. Trust in God and you will be established. I believe this is a prophetic word. I believe God is opening up the storehouses. I do believe, I do believe we have been in a season where we've been praying and giving and sowing and believing. And we've not seen all the response that we wanted from heaven to earth. But it doesn't mean God has not responded. I believe there's stuff laid up in our accounts in heaven that God is about to open up and a season of blessings are coming on our life. I believe it with everything in my heart. This is the season we're in. Amen. So he goes on to say that the key to God's storehouse or God's storehouses that God showed him. He said, God showed me that a key to receiving all that he has for us is to let go of our offenses and judgments. These are things we have against others. It is interesting that Jesus gives us a key to understand blessing in our lives from uh, Luke 6, 37 through 38. You've probably read it. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. So yes, giving opens up things for us. But if you read this in context, Jesus is saying we must first let go of judgments. And the key to receiving full blessings starting this month is to clear out any judgments or offenses that we have against others. And I believe that's a true word from God. And so I want to see if I can help us in these very short few minutes we have left move away from offenses and judgments in our life because I hope you understand this and I've been in the kingdom long enough to realize it. Sin never has stopped God's blessings. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But judgment can stop God's blessings. This, uh, the only one scripture I know in the Bible that seems to limit God was the one that he says, be careful because if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. So if you're holding judgment and offense, it somehow blocks the flow or blocks the flow of blessings. So let's peek into it just uh, for a minute. So, man, I want to thank Mark, uh, Pastor Mark Macon for some of this information that, uh, that he, he's helped, helped me and others with. And I appreciate that. I think we have to be open and honest with each other to realize we live in the most offended society in history. Black versus white. Rich versus poor. 
atheist versus Christian, Democrat versus Republican, young versus old, church versus church. It's gotten so bad, there's a new term. It's called microaggression. What's the definition? Microaggression is a new term that they've developed. It's what happens when someone says something inoffensive, but the listener chooses to be offended anyway. An example of a blog that I read said, Today a girl in one of my classes suggested that pulling out a chair or opening a car door for a woman could be a microaggression because it insinuates that she is incapable of doing it herself. Lots of people, including the professor, agreed. I'd simply like to say it's satanic. And it's a tactic to divide people into groups, cause people to see themselves based on their identities in that group, and ultimately keep people from discovering their identity in Jesus Christ. Offense and judgment, it's a satanic assignment. We'll give a self-diagnosis. Hopefully this helped you. It helped me. Symptoms of offense. Number one, you always feel like you're the victim. You cannot be a victim and a conqueror at the same time. Number two, you point the finger at someone else. It's always everybody else's fault. Number three, you judge motive and intent. What did he mean by that? What did she do? Why did she do that? Why was I not invited? Maybe you get offended so easily that you make it difficult for people to enjoy being around you. You judge the motives behind other people's actions. Number four, I'm coming. Number four, you, you talk about what others have done and you spread your offenses to others. Right? Your happiness is conditional on how others treat you or see you. You are a complainer. You are angry, bitter, and unforgiving. You can't, in, I told you I'm coming as fast as I can, lady. I swear to God, I am coming as fast as I can bring it. I'm bringing it. So if you say, come on, one more time, I'm coming back there. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter or hold animosity. <laughs> come on. <laughs> you, you can't enjoy. <laughs> I love you too. God bless your heart. I'm just saying. You can't enjoy what you have because you're always looking at what others have or what you don't have. Come on. <laughs> I'm in a cadence with you now. Don't stop now. Just teasing with you. I appreciate the encouragement. You see your relationships as battles. It's against you. It's you against the world or us versus them. You can't have fun or enjoy ordinary moments. You choose pity over growth. You believe your experience as a victim and your offense somehow gives you more wisdom than others. Your feelings determine your future and your relationships. People actually get offended at you and you're always living for a compliment. These are just some signs. They're not all the signs, but hopefully they were, it was enough to diagnose my heart. And maybe it's enough for you to help you diagnose your heart with offense to each other, relationships, church. One point I want to make is simply this. An offense is not an event. It's a choice. It's not an event. It's not something that happened to you. It's actually a choice. You choose to be offended after the event. 
Let me, you, let me cover three quick scriptures with that. Mark 4 is a famous one. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, and so endure for, but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the enemy's number one tools, as soon as the word of God is sown in your life, is to try to offend you and get you to pick up offense. The actual Greek word for offense is bait. It's the bait of Satan. <coughs> I'll give me a drink over here. It's, it's, it's the enemy coming against you to try to, thank you, Tommy, try to get you to uh, pick up an offense and let go of the word. And if he can do that, thank you. If he can do that, he'll get us every time. So it's a choice. It's not, a, not an event. Let me give you another one. This is about John the Baptist who was going to get offended at Jesus. Of course, he had a right to get offended. You know, he thought Jesus was the Messiah, and he's been telling everybody the Messiah's coming. He winds up in jail, and he gets his head cut off. I mean, it's tragic. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, said, Are you the one that's coming, or should we look for another one? Jesus said to him, Go and show John again those things which you do, in, do hear and see. Blind receive sight, lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised, poor have the gospel preached. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. Last one, Paul said in Acts 24, 16, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So we see that offense is always a choice, not just an event. Now I'll take you to a passage of scripture and, uh, and we'll wind up here. And this is found in Luke 17. I, I was, thought it was so awesome when I read it because I'd never seen it in this context. I'd read the first part each time where it talked about forgiveness and being offended. But I never realized every bit of the chapter is designated to this subject of offense. Every parable, every story ties into it. I'm going to give you five things real quick that will free you from offense. So touch three, two or three people and say, we're about to, get free. about to get free here. Come on, tell them we're about to get free. Luke 17 starts this way. He said to his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. So he's saying, he's warning them, get ready. It's impossible for it not to happen. Offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. And he starts off and he makes a powerful run of scriptures here in this, this, this explosive book of Luke chapter 17. So he tells his disciples, first of all, get ready. Offenses are definitely going to come. And he says, number one, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, then seven times in a day, turn again and he repents, then you also shall forgive him again. So he's saying every time your brother sins against you, forgive him. Now this spoke to me this morning even while preaching. He said, if your brother offends you, rebuke him. But here's what offense does. Offense actually is a cowardly thing. Because what happens is people pick up an offense without ever rebuking the one they're offended by. 
So they get mad at you or they, they get offended and you don't even know they're offended and they grab their offense and run down the road with it and spread it and rumor it to all everybody else and you don't even know that you've offended them and you've actually never even had the opportunity to repent. It's a cowardly act to be offended at somebody and never tell them that you've offended them and hold that offense in your life, in my opinion. It happens to me a lot. People, I don't mind being rebuked. It says rebuke a wise man and he'll love you later. I have no problem being corrected, have no problem being challenged or rebuked. I actually enjoy it because the Bible says that's only going to make you better. I also like it because it gives me a chance to tell you why I did what I did. And I promise you 99.9% of the time, you're only going to get repentance when you go to somebody and tell them how they've hurt you. That's just good right there. You ought to pat yourself on the back for me because that's good preaching right there. And so we're supposed to live this transparent life that if, you hurt, if, you, if you're hurt by somebody, just go tell them, you hurt me. You made me mad. You offended me. Let them repent. And it says if they repent, forgive them immediately. And if they hurt you again tomorrow, tell them and forgive them again. Every time they repent, forgive them. So we, number one, we've got to live in forgiveness. We've got to live in forgiveness. Number two, he goes right into a parable. And let me pause a minute. I didn't have this on my notes, but it's in. I want you to read this when you go home. As soon as Jesus told them this forgiveness thing, like live in forgiveness, you know what they, you know what they said? Lord, help our unbelief. Because they said it's going to be hard to live like this. Lord, increase our faith. But we'll go on. Number two. Goes into this parable. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go sit down and eat? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trial not. I'm obviously in the King James Version now. I trial not. <laughs> I don't know why. It just tickles me to be king. I trial not. Doth he think that the servant, because he did the things that were commanded him, I trow not. So likewise, I don't even know what that means. So likewise, ye, when ye shall done these things which are commanded you, saying we are unprofitable servants, we have just done what was our duty to do. What's he saying? He's saying which of you that has somebody working for you and you paying them to work for you, and after they get done with the job for the day and they come in, would you think that they're going to tell you to feed them? No, they'd probably feed you first, and then because their job or their obligation or their servanthood that day was just their duty to do. So what's the point? If you want to live free from offense, you're going to have to serve others without expectation. Since when were we supposed to be rewarded for obedience? And if you'll get to the place where you can serve each other and serve the body of Christ and serve your spouses without expecting something back from them, realizing it's just your dutiful job, it's your obedience to love your wife. It's your obedience to submit to your husband. It's your it's children. It's your obedience to obey parents. There's no reward for obedience. Obedience is just something. But we want to serve with expectations. Well, I did this, this, and this for you. Yes, and? 
when you married my tail, you said you were supposed to do this, 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 and this for me. Come on, somebody. When you got in this deal, when you started serving Jesus, you said you was going to serve him. I, I'll never forget, I was walking and praying. I said, Lord, those people are using me. They're just using me. Lord said, I know. I said, why are, they, why are you letting them use me? He said, I'm answering your prayer. I said, why? What prayer? He said, you said, Lord, use me. He said, you prayed, Lord, use me. He said, now you're getting used. And then he said, if I'm providing everything they're using up, then why would you ever complain about getting used? You, they, wouldn't be, they couldn't use you for money if I hadn't given you the money that you got. They couldn't use you for your strength and love and joy if I didn't give you the strength and love and joy that you got. Touch two or three people and say, get ready, you're about to get used. But if you're doing it out of obedience, without an expectation, you're just serving because I just got to, I'm off, Bev got me off on all this. I'm, I'm a whole second service, a different service. But there was a guy came to me, he just so blessed me, you know, this week. He came to me two, three days ago, and you know what he said to me? He said, Kent, this church changed my life. He said, it's just changed my life. He said, I'm not even like you. He said, I'm Methodist. He said, I honestly don't even know why I'm here. He said, I've been here 10 years. He said, I said as an outsider, he said, for two years, I just drove by. He said, and I just watched it grow. And I said, Lord, why, how are you, that thing's just growing and growing and growing. He said, I finally got enough courage to come. He said, I'll be honest, it, Stuff I'd never seen or heard before. He said, I've been there 10 years. He said, my life's changed. He said, thank you for letting me serve. Thank you. Thank you for letting me serve. I get life when I serve at the church. I get power when I serve at the church. Thank you. It's such an honor to serve the Lord at the church. I'm like, would to God we had a thousand of you. Not what you going to give me. Why don't you ever spend time with me? Why don't you ever thank me? Thank you. <laughs> this service is out of control, I'm telling you. It's just out of control. Number one, always forgive. Come on. Number two, serve others without expectation. Come on, that's right. Number three, he goes right into another story. He, he says, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they did, they were all healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God, fell down on his face at, at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, were there not 10 healed Where's the other nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this one stranger. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus goes right into the next part of this story. He's like, there's 10 healed, but only one said thank you. 
Only one was grateful. And so there's a difference between being healed and being whole. A lot of people can get healed, but when you slide in this place of gratitude, you start getting made whole because you can't live in a place of gratitude and get offended. Why, you can walk in here today and somebody can offend you, and if you're living with a heart of gratitude, by the time you get out to the car, you've left that offense because you see the car. And you say something like, man, I got offended, but thank God I had a car to drive to get here. Thank God that I had clothes to wear to get to church. Thank God I, had, thank God I woke up in my right mind this morning and was able to get to church. Right? Thank God I live on earth rent-free and have free air. <clears throat> right? And you just get in this place of gratitude. And when you live in this place of gratitude, that's when you begin to move into this place of getting whole and you can't get offended. This same guy that told me about uh, loving to serve, you know what the second thing he said? I'm preaching his sermon. You know what the second thing he said to me? He said, I hear what people say about you. He said, it don't move me. He said, you know why? He said, God sent me here and it'll take God to move me on. Nobody's going to move me away from what God has in my life. Come on, somebody. Number four, quickly. He goes right into this next thing. He says, neither say, shall they say low here or low there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. All in the same line of offense. Now he's saying, look, the kingdom of God is within you. What's he saying? You don't have to have external things to live in this place of peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is actually inside of you. But here's why it's geared to offense. Sign, I was talking between services, and he's reading a book now about the kingdom of God is within you. And there's a story about a guy that goes to a well that used to have water, but there's no water in the well now. And the reason there was no, they said there was no water is the well wasn't getting used. Because if you quit using a well, the well will actually go dry because it's the pressure of the water that keeps the capillaries open that causes the water to flow. And what happens when a fence comes, it actually quenches that inside of you and keeps the water from flowing and your well starts running dry. Because the kingdom of God is within you, it's important what's happening inside you because that's where the flow of the kingdom of God is. And when you get a fence on the inside, it stops the eternal flow, internal flow of the Holy Spirit wanting to flow in our lives. And last, I thought this was interesting, he simply said in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Jesus said all this in Luke 17, remember Lot's wife. And Lot's wife was, Lot and his wife were living in Sodom and Gomorrah and the angel came to deliver him before he brought judgment. And it says Lot's wife looked back because the angel clearly said, I'm going to deliver you out, but don't look back. He said, if you do, you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be struck as a pillar of salt. And she looked back and she literally turned into a monument. When you try to keep living in the past, your movement will become a monument. Because he ties it to the scripture that says, whoever tries to preserve his life, that's what salt does, will lose it. But if you lose your life, 
you'll find it. If you keep trying to look to the past to try to find your way out of hurts and offense and what somebody did for you or didn't do to you, didn't do to you, or these things that live in your life in the past, it will literally cause you to get stuck and you'll never begin to be able to move into your future because you're always focused on the past. So Jesus simply gives us five points. Always forgive, serve others without expectation, be thankful, recognize the kingdom of God is within you, and don't look back. Paul the apostle said it like this, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do. I keep forgetting those things that are behind, and I keep reaching ahead to those things that are ahead. And I believe this year that God has so much for us as we move into this new year that we need to let go of every offense, every judgment, and move away from that and enter into the blessings of God. I'll leave you with these nuggets. It's from my friend John Mason. I love him. This book's called The Impossible Impossible is Possible. Here we go. These are worth writing down. You can't get ahead when you're trying to get even. You can't get ahead when you're trying to get even. I love this one. Never cut what can be untied. Sometimes it's one phone call that can fix it. One letter, one note, one I'm sorry, one forgive me that can untie that thing so it doesn't get cut and you lose the relationship. Never cut what can be untied. When you've been wronged, a poor memory is your best response. Forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them more. There's no revenge so sweet as forgiveness. The only people you should try to get even with are those who've helped you. That's just good out there, isn't it? Forgiveness ought to be like a canceled note torn in two and burned up so that it never can be shown against one. He who cannot forgive destroys the bridge over which he may one day need to pass. People need loving most when they deserve it least. Forgiveness heals, unforgiveness wounds. When we think about our offenses, trouble grows. When we forgive, trouble goes. What really matters is what happens in us, not to us. Hate is a prolonged form of suicide. If you want to be miserable, hate somebody. Unforgiveness does a great deal more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than the object on which it is poured. It's true that the one who forgives ends the quarrel. Patting a fellow on the back is the best way to get a chip off his shoulder. (laughs) Forgiveness saves the expense of anger, the high cost of hatred, and the waste of energy. There are two marks of greatness. Giving and forgiving. Forgiving. 
two marks of great man, great woman, giving and forgiving. I'll leave you with this last one. Every person should have a special cemetery lot in which to bury the faults of friends and loved ones. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Won't you stand up with me? I really believe this is a message from the Lord. And I really believe that the Lord wants to move us into 2017 free of judgment, free of offenses. And he's got a lot of blessings in store for us. You say, how do you know that? Well, I I believe it prophetically, but I also know it because of what there is to be done. Millions of people still need to hear the gospel. If every church in our community was full this morning, every church, and there's, I think, last count was 394 churches just in our area. If every church was packed to capacity this morning, there would still only be about 10% of our community in church. A lot of people need to be reached. There's children that will save in 2017, and they won't die because somebody gave toward Project 58. I'm not saying we just want to get blessed so we can be like the blessed ones. I'm talking about we want to be a blessed so we can be a blessing. And the reason I know God wants to bless is there's so many people in need. And so we need his blessing. An extravagant style of blessing. I'm asking God to bless you and me this year to where it's embarrassing. Have you ever thought about being so blessed it's embarrassing? Like you have to hide some of it. Like I can't show you everything. I can't tell you everything God's done. It's just embarrassing. I, I can't. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you everything God did from this year. It's just embarrassing. I got too much. I. I. I, I got. I, it, it was. It was extra. It's extravagant. I believe that's what God wants to do. But I also know he has to get us ready for it. He doesn't want it wasted. He doesn't want it hoarded. And he doesn't want it trusted. He wants it used for his glory and his purposes and his plans to be fulfilled. Now's the time to say, come on. There we go. But if we believe this message, then we believe the only thing that can stop us, the devil can't stop us. Right? Circumstances can't stop us. God doesn't want to stop us. The only thing that can stop us is ourself. Are you willing to let it go so that we can receive it? Or are you going to keep hanging on to it and miss out on what God wants to do? I know I've Maybe said this before, but it's worth saying again. I've seen it on National Geographic where they've got these little traps set up for the little monkeys, and they're killing them. And they're cute as, cute as they can be, these little monkeys. And they're, they put a banana in there, and what happens is they stick their hand in like this, and it goes through the hole, and then when they grab the banana, it makes their fist so big they can't get back out. And so they're sitting there, and they're going... <laughs> And the hunter's coming. 
You see it on National Geographic. The hunters are coming. And you're sitting there watching it. And you're saying, little monkey, just let go of the banana. That's all you got to do. And you're gone. But they hold that banana until they kill them. That's how they, that's how they trap them. And all they've got to do is let go. And it's, I was watching, it's like the Lord said, all you got to do, kids, let go of the banana. All you got to do is let go of that thing that you, that you think you so desperately need to hang on to. All you got to do is let go of it, and you're free. And so today, you don't need some massive deliverance. You don't need some massive exorcism. You don't need some massive... You just need to let go of some stuff you've been hanging on to and just walk on out and be free today and get ready for the blessings of the Lord to come on you. Because my Bible says, the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and add no sorrow with it. That's the kind of blessing we want to live under. And so, Father, we just stand here today in your presence. We've worshipped you. We've felt you. We, 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 we have a, a cognizant awareness of your presence, that you're real, that you're alive, that you're available, that you're here, and you have one goal, and that is to bless. You're trying to get us blessed. You're trying to move us to a place of blessing. And you're speaking to us today, and you're telling us, I want to bless you. All I need you to do is let go so that you can move with me. And so, Father, today, by your grace, under grace, we choose to lay down any offense, any bait that we've grabbed a hold of, any judgment toward others. And we ask you to simply let us get lost in forgiveness that we just get such a re awake awareness and an awakening to the fact of we have been forgiven so much if we had to forgive everybody every day it still wouldn't amount to the fact that I've been forgiven so much myself because God you forgave me of everything past, present, and even future. So how could I not release forgiveness to anybody and everybody in my life? So Father, I join your people today and we release all unforgiveness, all offense, all hatred, all anger, all animosity. And we release it and we go free today. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And now, Lord, we expect nothing but blessings as we walk into this new season in our life. We honor you for it. We thank you for it. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody in agreement said, amen. amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Lord one time this morning. Woo! Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. For more sermons and content like this, visit wordalive.tv. Have a great week.